What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another volume of I Dig Records, a Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in once again. If you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels. Can't stress the importance of those iTunes reviews enough. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. The podcast is up on Spotify. I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there every first of the month, which means the February one is now available. So tap into that. And this week, 
on I Dig Records, my cousin Rob and I are talking about Wayne Shorter's 1965 masterpiece, Juju. Excited to get into this conversation. If you're new to the I Dig Records series, it's typically my cousin Rob and myself in conversation doing the deep dive about a record and occasionally there's some guest co-hosts when Rob can't make it but he has been the mainstay and probably been on all but five or six episodes of this thing and they're coming at you every other Tuesday the I Dig record series and new episodes of the regular Dan Cable Presents podcast can be found Every Friday, last week I had an awesome chat with Skylar Gudaz out of Durham, North Carolina. Incredible singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. The week before, Alex Meltzer, Portland-based beatmaker, was on the show. He's a good friend of mine, so it was awesome to catch up with him on the mics. Really enjoyed that conversation. That might be something to check out if you enjoy this type of conversation My cousin Rob has just been huge in affecting the way I think about music, but he's also very responsible for my jazz awakening, and I can't thank him enough for that. It's, uh, I guess it happened around the time that I moved to Portland, Oregon back in 2013 and started collecting records and just really wanted to expand upon the, the stuff that I was listening to and get exposed to what are known as some of the, the great jazz records you know the ones that everybody's always throwing around like Coltrane's Love Supreme or or Miles is kind of blue and Wayne Shorter always a part of that conversation so Rob definitely set that fire in me and it's led me to my own path of discovery with it but I will always appreciate talking about jazz records specifically with this dude because he's so passionate about it and I think that comes through in his commentary. So on volume 34 of I Dig Records, we are talking about one of Cuzzo's favorite records of all time and one that has had so much influence on him. And this was a killer one, maybe one of my favorite episodes of this series, if not my favorite. And I just love this fucking guy so much. He's one of my best friends and I honestly don't think I would be where I'm at without his presence and I think the things he's learned from Wayne come through in his performance and the way he operates as a person he's one of the most talented musicians that I know but he's also amongst the the most humble he plays in this killing band called High Pulp and we're going to close out the episode with their most recent single All Roads Lead to Los Angeles I got to hear the new High Pulp record that is dropping in April on Anti Records over summer and I've never been so stoked for one of his projects to drop. It will be amongst my albums of the year. There's uh, some incredible features on there. If you dig jazz, I urge you to check out High Pulp. Give them a follow wherever you are listening and add them to your playlist. Those links will be in the episode notes so you can follow Rob and High Pulp. Myself, send the show an email dancablepresents at gmail.com hit me up on instagram dm me there if you want to hear us talk about some specific records if you are a portland oregon local you want to see some free live music you should hit up produce row cafe on a thursday night from 6 p.m to 8 p.m or sundays noon to two they've always got djs on sunday for brunch 
Lots of them spinning vinyl over there. And there's also a Valentine's Day special going on at Produce Row. The Jeff Chilton Trio will be playing tunes at Produce Row on Valentine's Day. That is going to be really dope. So uh, check into that. All the sponsor links will be in the episode notes as well. Is that Spotify profile that I told you about earlier. If you want to check out those monthly playlists, I would you know, urge you to give that a like and a follow or, you know, share the podcast with somebody. Let them know that you're listening if you're digging it. And we're going to get into volume 34 of I Dig Records. Stay tuned Friday for a fresh episode of Dan Cable Presents. Let's do the damn thing. I just want everybody to know that I Dig Records. I Dig Records, bro. I dig records. Volume 34. Cuzzo's back. We're back. 34. Yeah, 34. Damn, dude. And What happens uh, when you're 34? You're 34, right? I'm 36. How was 34? 34. That was the beginning of the pandemic, I guess. Holy shit. Yeah, (laughs) so that's how 34 was. So, oh, it's been a long time, man. It's wild, right? I was, I was talking to, um, are, is this what we're going to do? Are we going to do, are we going to do cool fucking hot stove COVID talk about how long the pandemic is gone? <laughs> no, we're not. I'm and just, that's I'm a fair just critique. I just I'm was just telling, fucking. I was, I was, I, I asked the, the tattoo artist yesterday when she moved to LA and she was like, right before the pandemic and i was like word so like she was like i don't know how long it's been <laughs> you know <laughs> it's been like a long time you know right. i'm like word that's that's a thing but yeah no it's no, real thank you we don't need to we don't need to complain about the thing that everyone in the world is uh sharing yeah and uh and we're also here to talk about one of the greatest jazz musicians that has ever lived mr wayne shorter true inspiration man absolutely uh excited to dig into this one this is one of your picks for this mr wayne Shorter series wayne shorter juju 1965 and I know that this record is uh, all kinds of like important to you, as we have uh, spoken about on previous episodes leading up to this thing. So, why don't you uh, why don't you lead us off, Cuzzo, by just kind of uh, talking about your experience getting associated with this one, and uh, why this record has had like such a deep impact on your on your shit. For sure, I play the drums and i started playing sort of like jazz adjacent things probably when i was like 17 maybe 16 maybe 17 but that was just in books you know my high school didn't have a jazz band i wasn't playing with uh with like a jazz group or anything um and then i got to college and the big band director heard me playing and she told me she needed a drummer and that I could just be the drummer and I wouldn't have to audition or anything. And I was like, all right, cool. So that was when I actually started to sort of listen to jazz as less of a 
or I, I didn't even really listen to jazz when I was learning it, which is hilarious. You know what I mean? It makes no sense. I was just like learning it as like basically independence exercises. Mm. You know what I mean? Or, you know, like, like learning it as a drum thing, but not necessarily understanding the music. And there, there can be some like confusing elements, you know what I mean? Like both of us come from like a more like rock background and hip hop and stuff. Like neither of us listened to jazz growing up. Um, and it was really like mystifying. I was really confused as to how to even understand what was going on. What everybody was saying was so cool. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? And all that. So I started to listen to jazz and try to figure out what was going on. And I feel like in those early days, you know, I was maybe listening to some random Miles Davis because I knew he, I was supposed to listen to him, but I didn't know the breadth of his career. You know what I mean? From Charlie Parker to the 80s crazy stuff. So, like, I just picked a random Miles thing. And I was like, this is jazz, right? And the same shit with a few other records. You know what I mean? A few other cats. Um, I just didn't understand. You know what I mean? Because none of it really hit me emotionally. And I feel like there were like three or four records that like actually hit me emotionally once I was in college and I was like, Oh, this is tight. And one of them was, uh, Art Blakey and the jazz messengers with Thelonious Monk. And another was kind of blue. And then this third one was Juju and Juju might've been the one that hit me the hardest. Um, cause I hadn't even heard of Wayne Shorter. You know what I mean? I knew miles and I knew Art Blakey. Um, and Monk, but like I'd never even heard of Wayne Shorter, and somehow d the second song, Deluge or Deluge, whatever the fuck, um, came on. I don't, I don't know where Spotify or something or fucking Pandora back at the time. I don't know, you know. But it came on, and I was just like, "This is tight," you know. It felt like. It felt like R&B, you know what I mean? Or it felt like the blues, you know what I mean? And, and jazz is the blues, but some of that stuff is more pronounced and less pronounced. And this one, to me, was just, like, undeniable. It's got this presence to it from the from the get-go, too, with that, that beautiful sax line that yeah, comes in. Yeah, just right off the jump. Yeah, and, and then and then also just, like, being a drummer, you know, I knew I knew who Elvin was, and this was like my first big like Elvin record. You know that I was like, oh my god, like Elvin fucking Jones. You know, and I still listen to this record like quite frequently because I feel like whatever Wayne and all all of these guys, like McCoy too, like and Reggie Workman, like they all are just tapped into this thing in the moment that is so inspiring and you can like hear it back like a 10 different times and hear different things you know what i mean yeah yeah wayne is just like he's he's truly like one of one you know what i mean oh yeah like, absolutely and i don't know if you got much chance to dig into that that doc that i sent over to you but i watched the whole thing yeah you know it's I, I personally, and I think you're like this too, just get so much out of listening to this dude talk about life and like you see how much of his process and his passion for what he does musically kind of bleeds into his life and how those philosophies all, all kind of run together and you talking about him being one of one, you know, he talks yeah. about 
trying to figure out, hey, what can I give back to life? Because life is the experience of all things. So life already has everything. So the only thing that you can truly do to give back to life is be original and offer exactly. things that are Which original. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like that was like so heavy when you said that. I was just like, oh my God, that's so tight. Like, it's like disrespectful to life to not be original. You know what I mean? Like, and, and just the same thing with like when his wife tragically died, you know what I mean? In an accident and he's like, well, you know, the sadness and, and that was real, but also I realized at a certain point that like the only thing I could do to like truly celebrate her life is to be happier than I've ever been. Yeah. You know what I mean? And people said he lived that way. Yeah. And so it wasn't just bullshit either. Anna Maria and her niece Dalila Lucien were both on TWA flight 800. They weren't supposed to be. They were bumped from another flight heading to Italy. Wayne was on tour and waiting for their arrival. This so-called accident there's no such thing as an accident happened her life uh is, was bigger than the accident um uh the death to me is like um an animal which is never uh it needs feeding but never is filled up so uh, death is n not conclusive it's always it's grabbing at morsels of food and the reason why death happens over and over again, because it is not the end. I, was, I, I had no idea about his wife and niece being in that 96 TWA crash. And I know that you were very young. What is TWA? TWA was a, an airline at that time. You know, it would, it would be as well known as anything in the game now at that, at that okay. point. Really? Um, yeah, how old were you in 96? Four. four. I'm 92. Okay. Yeah, four. So I remember this plane crash. I was 11 because it was such a big fucking deal. Like, I don't know if you know much about it, but this plane took off. No, I don't know shit about this it. This plane took off and uh, some wiring, I believe, caught fire. The plane exploded. Like, Holy it's shit. Where was it? Over, like, New Jersey, I think, in, in on the East Coast. Uh, they yeah. were going, yeah, they were going overseas to Europe. So pretty wild um and i had no idea that's the way he lost his his first wife but where did the plane land when it crashed in the ocean oh in the ocean all right well at least it didn't fucking hit a building or some shit the debris just all over the ocean that's crazy yeah i didn't know about that insane so 1996 twa crash He's a wild dude. And and you got you got like pieces of Herbie Hancock in there talking about him and he also just mentions that that Wayne was all like constantly creating music in the moment or for the moment and always taking chances. Yeah. I mean it's just this like direct connection to like his outlook on life and like he's a devout Buddhist and like so's Herbie. Um, at this point, um, and Wayne's been a Buddhist for like 30 something years, 40 something years at this point. And it's just like, yeah, that whole like idea of being truly present in the moment. And like, it, it was really cool when he was like with this, this, this documentary follows his current group, which is, uh, Patitucci on bass and Brian Blade on drums and, uh, Danilo, um, 
on uh, fucking keys. Yeah. And that dude's Neil's a trip. on some crazy yeah. shit too, singing and yelling yeah. and shit. <laughs> Screaming into the fucking. Yeah, piano. I was like, this is all right, cool, man. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but he's talking about with that group how like they just will play and it's it's truly improvisational and he uses this analogy of a door and he says you know if we have to know it's this concept of like zero gravity like we have to know that there is not something we know behind that door because if there's something behind that door in what we're playing i'm playing this thing that's familiar to me that I know where it's going to go, that's prescriptive, you know what I mean? Then you're not actually truly creating in the moment as much as you are creating the illusion to yourself that you're just sort of, you know, that you're, that you're improvising. But this idea for him of, of improvisation, like, and you can hear it, like the way that if you listen to the second quintet, like, and even, even this Juju record, like, I'll listen to this record with Andy who's a saxophone player and he's just like he'll just like laugh like Wayne will just play something he'll just laugh and he'll just be like fuck yeah dude <laughs> like so unpredictable you know what I mean it's just like you know because there's there's language with on on these instruments and there's 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 like you know canon you know what I mean and like people play these things oh that's that max lick oh that's that train lick oh that's that Charlie Parker lick whatever and Wayne feels so free from all of those things. You know what I mean? Not in the sense that he doesn't know them, but in the sense that he's truly mastered them. You know what I mean? And he's not like bound by them, you know? Yeah. Um, so this group is so cool because he's talking about, okay, we have to go open this door that is truly unknown. And in that place, we will be able to to like leave our bodies you know what i mean to fly like this is like a high form of meditation mm. you know mm. motherfuckers like when when danilo says he tells that story about like the water wayne was like i want more water in that cord and he's like i don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about and he comes back the next day and he sort of like figures out this thing that he got from this like soap commercial um you know and and he's just like oh he hits this sort of place and he, they, they then are improvising and playing. And he tells the story about how when, when they were playing, he was above the band, just like flying. And he looked down and he saw himself and, you know, just a completely like psychedelic meditative experience. You know what I mean? And he goes up to Wayne afterwards and he's like, Wayne, 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 I was flying like while we were playing, you know? And, you know, somebody, A, might be like, this motherfucker's crazy. You know what I mean? But, of course, Wayne's not like that. Wayne's like, but he's also not like, that's so cool. He's like, we used to fly every night with Miles Davis. Oh, that's you know what yeah. I mean? He's just like, that's what we did. You know what I mean? Like, we would just leave our bodies. That's why we could play for fucking th four hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're just bliss. You know what I mean? And the amount of freedom that he has is I think a direct connection there's no way that it's just musical you know what I mean mm -hmm. like it is directly correlated to the amount of work and vulnerability and presence and all of that shit that he puts in in his life and the music right. is a way of expressing and an extension of that but you know it's, it's hand in hand
that that lineup of dudes, you know, really understood the gift that they were getting of getting to play with Wayne because, you know, he seemed to teach them those philosophies. And this dude has truly lived the history of the music, you know. He's he's 90, he's almost 90 years old, you know, still still talking jazz, playing jazz. Still killing it, man. Just like lucid. Even Herbie uh, says that he was a huge fan of Wayne because Wayne was playing with Art Blakey from like 59 to 60 something, you know, 63 or 64. And Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and he was playing with Lee Morgan in that group too. I mean, and, and all these dudes on this record are part of the Jazz Messengers. All the guys on Juju? Yeah. Did McCoy play with the Jazz Messengers? Yeah. That's cool. We'll get into M- McCoy soon. Dope. <laughs> Basically, Herbie's like, yeah, Wayne, I knew who Wayne fucking Shorter was, you know? like, right. And it was an right. honor to play with him. It's like Herbie Hancock saying that, you know? And that gives you perspective. You know what I mean? Like, Wayne is like an OG, like one of the most revered jazz musicians from, you know, he's eight years younger than Miles or something. You know what I mean? And then, of course, therefore, once you get to Brian Blade and this band that he's playing with now, they were all raised on Wayne in the same right, way that, right. like, if I was to meet Wayne, I would, like, bow. You know what I mean? Like, I would ask to wash his feet. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'd just be like, dog, like, tell, like, please let me, let, me, let me thank you in some way for what you've done. You know what I mean? It's unparalleled. So, But he doesn't want that shit. He just wants you to bring something original to the yeah to the session and that's the other analogy like he's humble he's so humble in the sense that a mentorship he says is not me leading you along this path and you following it's me being like a father and putting you on my shoulders Mm. when we're at like a parade or something (laughs) and therefore you're actually like the son can then see further than the father could. You know what I mean? So it's like, he's learning things and loving playing with these guys as well. Like it's like, it's not like an ego based thing. Like these guys know how lucky they are to play with Wayne. And I think Wayne also feels very lucky to play with them, you know, in in the way that like a father would play with a son, you know what I mean? And there's so much to learn. So it's just beautiful. I mean, there's just something so hopeful about his outlook, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And, and inspiring that like, I know I've just been talking this whole fucking podcast, but oh, you, can all, you can tell I'm passionate, man. It's just like, this shit like is so inspiring for like where I want to go, you know? And that's the whole point is, you know, he has the ability to bring that, that spirit out in all Other the people, people around yeah. him, it seems, or at least the people that want to go there. Um, yeah. So sure. opening track, title track, Juju. Yeah. Did this just blow your goddamn mind when you heard this this drum solo for the first time? That's about six minutes into this track. Is like you're diving deeper at, as you're you know gaining your understanding as a as a jazz drummer at that time. Yeah, and I feel like it's also like it's hard to understand that it's all still to the form you know what i mean when i was like just in college i was like oh so a jazz drum solo just means like this motherfucker plays a lot of notes <laughs> you know what i mean like or something you know what i mean yeah. and they're so long and this and that and, like genuinely wasn't able to uh, appreciate you know what i mean 
what the solo is because the solo a solo so often gets its its heaviness from the restrictions that are put on it you know what i mean and like one inherent restriction in a lot of these solos is the form and so he's keeping the time and he's keeping the form of the of the song and playing a, a certain amount but still so he's adhering to that but then still improvising and following the moment it's not entire freedom and it's not entire restriction it's this like balance of this, it's this grappling of those two things that is where it gets heavy elvin's so such a cool drummer because he plays the shit out of the drums like he's like a rock drummer you know what i mean and obviously he's a jazz he's a jazz legend but i, I just mean like the, the the spirit that he has on the drums yeah like that solo could have like been punk rock yeah you know what i mean but it's so elegant too you right. know what i mean it's so it's like both it's 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 so clear and it's so so on point but it's so vicious you know it's so urgent that's the word you yeah know what i mean in the same way that like punk rock is urgent experience of talking with you about that Sony Chirac Ask the Ages album which Elvin is also on because the playing is quite a bit different you can just hear how different players bring different things out of people and yep and and you know Elvin on that Sony Chirac record is like way more free and it's way it's like a trying to achieve something different you know what I mean and this record is from from 30 years before you know and it's uh sometimes the stuff that is has a little bit more of the rules like i can also appreciate you know what i mean like yeah because it's a little it's like a prompt you know what i mean mm. and i get to see how somebody responds to a prompt as opposed to responds to an open open door and both are cool yeah there's just like a lot of pretty moments on this record you know that house of jade song is one of my my favorites and just the way that one opens up but i did notice you know, listening to this record, this was kind of my, I'd listened to this in passing before just because you had brought mm -hmm. it up, but this is the first time I, you know, really listened and kind of picked it apart a bit. And it coincidentally was your, your choice of album, like a week after I picked up Wayne's Speak No Evil, which is also mm -hmm. this other great record with Herbie on it. And, and that's got Lee on it too. I think Lee Morgan, right? Uh, no. I don't know. You have to double check. There is, but I, I, I don't know. You might, maybe you're right. I just thought it was maybe someone else, but I know Elvin's on that one too. Yeah, Elvin, Reggie. That that's like the group, and you know, I mean, this is also. Oh, it's Freddie. Freddie Hubbard's yeah. on uh, her trumpet. Yeah. Freddie's the shit. This is John Coltrane's band. 
You know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like exactly. Like, Train's band is 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 this trio plus Train, and right. so this is Wayne's band is the same exact band, and you can go listen to, you know, some Train records and see how, like how unique of a voice each of these individuals have. Right. And everybody thinks of Train as like the goat, and I'm not here to debate anything. He is. He's amazing. There can be more than one goat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. I I just uh, I guess it makes sense to me listening to this. I maybe expected it to be a little more avant-garde, and it's actually mm-hmm. there's a, there's just a lot of these again beautiful laid-back moments, and you know there's pieces where where things get wild, and and Wayne is you know going off on the horn and whatnot but i guess that makes sense too for like where you were at as far as your entry point into jazz yeah, now something clear you know what i mean yeah. like and, and that's the thing like shit it even took me until like the pandemic to really go back and like fall in love with bebop you know what i mean and like all that stuff from the 50s now i'll be li- now i'm listening to this stuff because this stuff always hit me like tony and elvin and like Roy Haynes and like all the sort of drummers that were a little bit less rigid you know what I mean a little bit more improvisational and avant-garde always just spoke to me more just like to listen to as opposed to you know um Kenny Clark ding 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 but it wasn't until I went back and really like like during the pandemic like Andy and I just had this like resurgence with with bebop and just really fell in love and got a deeper relationship with it than I'd ever had. And, you know, stuff like Dexter and like Sonny and like getting all that stuff in me. Now I go listen to this stuff and it's like, Oh, Holy shit. It's so much clearer. You know what I mean? It's like, it's sort of like if you were to like, just like jump into like to pimp a butterfly but you had never like listened to like illmatic right you know what i mean like like it, it's so helpful to like understand the progression or you'd never listen to doggy style or the chronic or whatever like it's so it's so helpful especially in music that's so improvisational to understand the the context of like the lineage you know what i mean and i feel like that's something that all of my teachers were always stressing, but it never had hit me emotionally until, until like the pandemic. So now I have this whole resurgence with this record. I'm just like, Oh my God, this is so dope, you know? And it's still beautiful though, because what I did like about it initially, like you were saying, is that all of the melodies, right? Traditional structure. And I think all the songs on this record adhere to this is like, you know, the melody starts the song. It's the written part. Everybody knows what's going on. Then we go into solos that are over the same chord changes as the melodies. Yeah. Those go for however long. And then eventually we play the melody again. Um, you know, head solos and head. So these heads, all these melodies are so singable. Mm. They're so pretty. They're not in any way, like like they come they like they they all come from like the body they don't come from his head they're you know alive. what i mean they all come from his ear yeah and i feel like that's the distinction that like that's why i love monk too mm-hmm. like monk's heads are just the melodies are all so lyrical and yep. so singable and even if they're sort of wonky they like just like feel good because they're coming from that place 
And I feel like a lot of cats think these things through. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can think it through, but it's not going to feel good if it comes from that yeah. place. That's just like sort of the wrong soil, you know what I mean? To be making shit from, and you know? So so that's that's like such the takeaway is like every single one of these songs, the melody is just beautiful. Yeah. And that's the song. The song is the melody. And then the solos are the solos. You know what I mean? But just masterful masterful, like effortless seemingly writing, you know, that's still like yeah. so original, you know, it feels familiar and original. It's like that characteristic we talk about mm -hmm. all the time. It's like that's the thing, you know, that makes it classic, is it's like it's new and old at the same time. It feels really alive to me, you know? And like that House of Jade song in particular just kind of transcends me into this dingy jazz club of, you know. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. I gotta, I gotta tell you, you know, obviously I, I love doing the deep dive on this record because to further understand the genius of Wayne, but the standout thing to me, my big takeaway is that I fucking love McCoy Tyner. Yes, this dude. guy's touch on the keys yeah. is crazy. And you talk about Mahjong and that's just like yeah. one of those tracks where the piano really drives it. Yeah. It feels like. And, and rest in peace, McCoy, man. He died just like last year or two years ago or something um but it, mccoy was like if you talk to any jazz pianist they're gonna they're gonna be like this jazz drummer doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about but i'm gonna fucking go for it <laughs> so mccoy mccoy's like incredibly influential in jazz and he did this thing with his left hand where he'd like play like these like big like boom like stab these things that are mm -hmm. i think they're fourths apart and it's this really unique sound that he sort of developed like and became known for and you can hear it in in like the head of mahjong or like when i mean in a lot of these solo sections like when 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 things start getting bigger you know boom dang dang like every like downbeat he'll just like 
slam the one right there. Yeah, it's Boom, a, it feels heavy. Low chords that just like feel like like I don't even know how to describe it. You know what I mean? But it's just like the earth. It's like the earth moves when he plays those. It's like so guttural. Mm. Dun, dun. And you know he he really is like actually like the hero he's like the x factor he's like the scotty pippen you know what i mean no, of yeah. this record to you me, know like yeah, he's absolutely. the he's the one that like sort of takes it to that next level because 100%. you can listen to the wayne shit like from before and or from when he's not playing with mccoy and it's also fucking awesome but like so much of the flavor of this record is mccoy time you know yeah, dude, it's it's uh like you hit the two ten mark of Mahjong, and McCoy gets into this solo, and it's so dope because it's so much different than the you know that attack that you're talking about mm-hmm. in the prior parts, and it's yeah, just the the speed and the precision on the keys. You can hear in, in McCoy's solo, boom, dun, dun, boom, dun, dun. like he's always hitting one, or not always, but most of the time he's hitting the one. Um, and then, you know, he has this unique voicing with that left hand, with the low notes, and then the right hand is doing all the flutters and the improvisation and the runs, you know? It's very, it's very, uh... It gave me hip hop feels at times. Yeah, totally. You know, just the percussive nature of the playing. I could see how that could be influential. But then, in response to that, you get Wayne's answer to mm-hmm. to all of that playing around the 350 mark, and McCoy pulls back his playing, and he becomes the canvas while while Wayne paints. I mean, just when Wayne enters, yeah, at like 327. It's just like, dude, what a, what an entrance to a solo. It's so clear. It's so confident. Like, he's playing long tones, basically. You know, he's not even playing any of these crazy runs. He's just playing music. He's just playing the song, you know? And that's, again, like, this group is, you know, doing what, what we all aspire to do. It's like, just to truly be free and not be prescriptive, you know? could just listen to them riff off of those heads on the same track over and over yeah well conveniently we have a whole album that's pretty good (laughs) you know you can listen to this that's the whole point of the album (laughs) you can listen to the album but like i'm not tired of it with mahjong is one of the longest songs on the record 
Yeah, and I'm curious how long they went on with a track like Mahjong because it fades out. You know, I'm wonder. Oh, I'm, I'm curious how that. Wow. How that yeah, track. You know what the original recording length was, but McCoy Tyner. That is my big takeaway. I think the next record, next jazz record I buy, will either yeah. be a McCoy Tyner record, or it will be a record that he plays on. Yeah, dude. Um, time for Tyner, pretty cool. Um, there's some cool like solo McCoy records. The real McCoy yeah. is awesome. Or today or tomorrow, or today and tomorrow is is both of those are on my list. Yeah, dude. For sure. And then I mean the stuff you did with Train too. Like I mean transitions is like an amazing record and it's a you know it's later so it's pretty out but yeah you'll hear them just really ripping yeah also wild that 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 love supreme came yep. out the same year as this oh really so you know wow. and Re- and reggie workman is the bass player on the record and just kind of respect how subtle his playing is on yeah on the whole thing, it's you like know? i feel like the more I listen to this record, the more I appreciate Reggie Workman because the record only works because the rhythm section's so tight. Oh, and yeah. Elvin is a pretty extroverted drummer, you know, like he 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 plays a lot of crazy shit. And you know, if like the the bass needs to be so locked in, you know what I mean? And like the whole foundation of this record feels good because of Reggie Workman, you mm-hmm. know. I think I think Yes or No is is a great example of his his playing. These two these last two songs are my my two favorite songs um, it, on the record. Yeah, and it's cool because, you know, you can speak to the subtleties of his playing, but it it just carries so much weight. Mhm. We uh we've been playing this song lately and here I'm going to I'm going to give you a challenge. You're going to have to we're going to play it and you're going to have to line it up after the fact with me talking over it. So it's going to start right. So that's the second time. So the form of the song is weird. Here's the third one. Or Okay, now we're swinging. Now we go back. One two three right and then four and then this this swing section two two three four three two three four four two three four five two three four six two three four bridge so it's like four bars of the like and then it's six bars of the swing and now we're in the bridge and then we go back to the head or the a out so and now we're in the solo and i was like i've listened to this song for fucking 10 years and i never knew that it was like a group of four and then a group of six and andy and i were trying to play it the other day it was like let's add this to our repertoire and I just kept getting lost and he was like oh it's because you're playing in like groups of four and I'm like isn't this just groups of four and he's like no this is like four and then six and then four and then six and then the bridge and then four and then six and I'm like what the fuck dude I've listened to this for 10 years and it that's just that's what I'm saying like about where Wayne is coming from 
where he's making the music from is not his fucking brain. He's making it from his ears, from his heart, like from a place that feels good. And that's why you can have things happen like odd bars, you know, or like, like rant, like differences that I've been listening to for 10 years and I didn't even notice because it feels so natural. You know what I mean? It's like 15 step by Radiohead. Like you wouldn't know that that's in five. You know what I mean? And then you count it. You're like, oh, what? that's sort of weird. Huh. It feels, it makes sense. This is more, this is, this is even harder to tell. For the dummies out there like me, are we, is that in like super rare then that you would even have that happen, or is it more to you just the subtlety of it happening without you even being able to it's, notice? It's more that, yeah. And I mean, if you listen to like modern jazz, like and like a lot of stuff that comes later, like you know, as as this stuff gets deeper and deeper, like you're getting a lot more odd time signatures and random bars that are like, oh, and then this is just in, built into the form of the song. This is one bar is truncated or whatever, extended. The thing that struck me is not that he did it, but just that I never noticed because it feels so natural. And the same thing when they're soloing, it all just feels so natural. Right. Like there's just so much momentum. Um, and it just fucking blew me away. I was just like, dude, holy shit. You know, like that's what I strive for. Like in writing is like, you know, if it feels obtuse, it probably is. You know what I mean? It, it like this. Yeah. It just caught me off guard, you know, and his solo, I'm just in the middle of the solo right now. It's insane. I'm like 340. I just took over. Alfred Lyon was the the producer on this record. He was the co-founder of Blue Note Records, and this was one of the um, like amongst the last records that he produced. He stopped in '67. I don't really know what his role as a producer would have been for a record like this, but you know. Yeah, I don't know either. Definitely Should a spearhead for one of the the legendary jazz record labels. I'm trying to figure out how tall Reggie Workman was because, like, these guys are all so big. <laughs> you ever seen, like, fucking uh, Elvin behind a, a drum set? He is, like, he he makes the drums because he's also playing these bebop drums, these little 18-inch <laughs> kick, and he just towers over it, which is just sort of cool, you know? Also, Wayne, co-founder of Weather Report, which yep. is a whole nother trip 
that yep. I went down a few years ago. I don't know what your, uh, you know, your knowledge of those records are, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not super deep. I never went super deep on Weather Report. I know like the songs, you know, but like, you know, a couple of the songs, but yeah. um, P- Peter Erskine, man, um, amazing drummer and Jocko. Yeah, all the Jocko, I mean, that that was what my entry point was, was seeing the Jocko right. documentary. McCoy was 6'6", six, six. Jesus. <laughs> McCoy Tyner, dude. So good. There's just some photo. It's of the uh, the Coltrane Quartet with all these guys, and they're just like... They're all just like huge. And it's... I, I don't know why I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm so, so fucking small. <laughs> closing track 12 more bars to go a beautiful blues like just beautiful and it's sort of a weird blues um to to me it has like a very classic charm to it it feels like the music to the opening credits or just the music being played on a hollywood film lot in the 60s yeah you know totally totally yeah just like a again this melody is so catchy it makes so much sense. Just feels right. Absolutely. And it's a little bit of a slower song than some of the other tunes on the record, and the whole thing is like just straight swinging, you know? Some of the other slower songs, like Mahjong and stuff, sort of the, the bass and the drums are going in and out of just like, you know, straight swing, walking feel. But I love how this song is just the whole time is pretty much. And again, you see what what like they do within that framework, you know, that limitation that makes it really heavy, you know, like it makes that's what I think makes it feel classic is that the whole thing is just swinging, bass is just walking, you know, it's like you're at a smoky little jazz club, you know, everybody's smoking cigars. Which I don't know if that ever happened. I mean, I assume that that happened. I, w- I want to go to that, you know? Like 1965 New York. Everybody's just like wearing top hats and smoking cigars. I'm sure you can find the right DIY club still. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But everybody will be like on Instagram and it just doesn't feel right. And you check your phone at the door. Did you... The, the version that's on Spotify is... Uh, got these alternate takes for house mm-hmm. of jade and juju mm-hmm. did you listen much to either of those um no not i mean i have in the past it's um it's interesting to see you know what the band does in a different take you know like yeah. solos are different you know and some of the some of the moments that you might love the most might be on a take that didn't make the actual LP, you know. Yeah, I th- I think the House of Jade one specifically is cool just because the tones are so different. The what are the the tones of the instrument are are quite a bit different as well as parts of the arrangement and kind of like the attitude in which they're played, I guess. So if you go back. Maybe maybe bring it back to like 445 
it feels like the whole track starts to drag at this next movement. And it drags in kind of that cool Dilla way, almost. Like when Wayne comes in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because so what happens is that in in that solo, in like the 445 moment, they're in double time. So like two, three, four, one, two, three. So like this is where the tune is. One, two, three, four. And then for McCoy's solo, they say, okay, instead of one, two, we're going to go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and then one, two, three, uh, four, when the head comes back in. And that's the thing that, you know, probably wasn't predetermined, you know what I mean? It probably wasn't like, hey, and then in my solo go double time. Maybe it was, but more likely it's that just in the moment, you know what I mean? The, the music took them there, you know? Yeah. I just, and uh, it creates such a cool effect, like you're saying, when you go back from double time to half time, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, it feels like a like a drop. seems to be this unfilteredness to the tone of Wayne's saxophone on that take that uh, is a, yeah just a different effect than the one that's on the record but yeah man what this is you, killer what did you think about um, did you see the part that Wayne was talking about like put your hands in the air I did not I <laughs> it was really interesting like he he said like you know, you go to these concerts nowadays and you hear these people be like, everybody put your hands in the air, everybody clap your hands, you know? And he was like, what that feels like to me, uh, he was like, whenever I hear that, I just see handcuffs. You know what I mean? I see like control. I see, you know, and he's like, you know, what it also feels like to me is like, this is a stick up. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, part of me is like, you know, maybe Wayne, you got to, you know, there's, there's probably some mixtures of truth here. You know what I mean? Like there's something cool and, and, and powerful about, you know, everybody being on the same page. But I also did appreciate as just like an interesting thought exercise, like sort of what I hear him getting at in that moment is like what he, what he, what he wants the listener's experience to be at the show he's not there to like entertain and like as much as he's there to like expand you know what i mean yeah and it's like you know it's funny because it is sort of sounds like some old man shit you know what i mean um but again i don't think he means it that way as much as it's like his relationship with the audience is like you know this is not a rehearsed thing you know, at least not with his current group. It's like, this is not a rehearsed thing. This is a 
exploratory thing that we're all like sharing together. And the idea of like, you know, the handcuffs is like, well, when you go see a, a show that's just like, you know, somebody hits play and, you know, it's just like this highly regimented thing, it's different. And I think that it is different. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not a better or worse thing. But it was cool to be like, you know, he really brings that to to the to the entirety of of his like whole performance too. You know what I mean? It's like he wants to 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 fly, you know what I mean? And he doesn't know when when he's gonna take off. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so he can't be like, oh, this is the part of the set when I tell everybody to clap their hands because this is what we do every night. You know what I mean? He wants to show something something more sort of like different. I don't know. I'm not yeah. I'm not even gonna put a prescriptive word on it, a value word, you know what I mean? But something different. And he wants it to be a one of heavy. one. Ex he wants it to be a one of one experience every exactly, time. It's exactly, not. I mean, exactly. that's that's yeah. It, he doesn't like. I was just. I, I've seen it numerous times, but I've been I've been in my feel my uh, my Phil Collins feels lately, yeah, and I've been I've I need been to make that I need to make you beat. <laughs> I've been running through some of the the old concerts from the the 80s and early 90s and the, i think that there's just like something like really powerful about that where the whole show is kind of orchestrated you know and these totally, people are putting totally. on a performance of these things night after night and there's still room for you know little variations here and there but you know these people have rehearsed for hours to make this huge production those big yeah stadium arena productions there's there's something really special about those things too so it's yeah it's it's more just different and i feel like you know music means this thing to him you know and i mean like danilo even says like in that documentary he says like i don't even think of this as playing music you know like playing with wayne he was like i don't think of it as playing music you know i think of it as something like different you know and yeah, I feel like, you know, Wayne's relationship, I would assume or I would guess, I would whatever, wonder if, like, it's just, like, so deeply personal at this point and unique that, yeah, like, it makes sense that he has, like, that he doesn't, you know, find interest in, you know, put your hands in the air, we're doing this every night even though that's fucking cool too. You yeah. know what I mean? Like what I would have given to see Prince, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. I'm glad we did this one though. I think that it seems like you like it. Oh, this will be like the next time I go to the record store, I'll be yeah. putting like Juju is a, a must for my, my collection. And also, like I said, you know, I'll just be seeking out the things that McCoy Tyner has played on and that documentary that we're talking about is called the language of the unknown it's on youtube so i'll put the link in the episode notes for that so you can uh you can check it out if it's cool with you i really want to play it out with the new high pole single because i think it's killing with Jaleel wow. shaw this is maybe one of my favorite tracks that your band has uh 
put out, and I know this is kind of the first preview. But Wayne Shorter's fucking, not on the record. Yeah, Wayne is not on the record, but we covered the whole Wayne Shorter record already. Okay, and, that's true. Um, yeah, man. I mean, if you want, as long as I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> I've heard it heard it too many times. You don't have to listen to it uh at all, but I would I would like the the listeners to to check it out and they can uh you know get Shout get out hyped to about Jaleel this. Shaw. Yeah, tell me about Jaleel Shaw. Jaleel is um an amazing alto player. Um he's in New York. He plays with uh the Roy Haynes um band and Roy Haynes played with like Chick Korea and Basically, like, the Mount Rushmore of, like, sort of, like, 1960s jazz drummers is Tony, Elvin, uh, Jack DeJanet, and Roy Haynes, if you ask me. And I feel like I'll, I feel like that's sort of accepted. So, Roy, Roy is, like, right there with fucking Elvin as far as, like, influence and all that. And Jaleel plays in Roy's band. Roy's still kicking. He's, like, he's amazing. Um... And then Jaleel also plays with like uh, in the Mingus Big Band, um, which is like based in New York. It's like a like a I mean Mingus is dead, but it's like a the official Mingus Big Band. And then he also plays with like Nate Smith, Kinfolk, just like just this amazing alto player. And I was a big fan of his, um, you know, for a while. And I just was like had a pipe dream i was like what if we got him on this record you know so i just fucking dm'd him on instagram and he was down and uh it's just you know it's crazy it's feel so so very so very blessed by the world you know and by somebody like jaleel who you know we could do a whole episode on this motherfucker you know like you hear his saxophone solo on this and you know he's he's as real as it gets absolutely you know? absolutely all so, roads all roads lead to los angeles is available now when's the record dropping full length april 15th but we got singles in march and singles in uh single in february single in march all right well that high pulp link will be in the episode notes as well i got a few records to throw at you to talk oh, yeah, about for go, next yeah. time fuck yeah one of them you may be inclined to do because we can do the documentary thing again okay and that being alanis morissette's jagged little pill which is Ooh. one of my favorite records okay. of of all time for sure and that new alanis morissette documentary is also up on the as part of that hbo series that did the the woodstock 99 and the dmx and juice world Wait, documentaries the little pills one of those two yes absolutely Dope. it's and I think great that gary novak might be playing on this record which is he's a sick fucking drummer um, um and F- flea's playing on this record that's crazy also uh, and then taylor hawkins was the drummer in alanis morissette's band oh yeah also okay no it's not gary great novak. It's great documentary loud. either way whether we do this record or not amazing the next record is the avalanches yeah yeah yeah. Cool. it's called since i left you i know the 20th anniversary for that just recently came about that's a, that's a record that's new to me i just recently stumbled upon it and i thought it was What's pretty it cool especially for uh for that time it's called since i left you the avalanches is the name of the group third record 
Pinback. Summer in Abaddon. Dude, I want to do all of these. Well, we can. You know, these can be on deck. I want to do the Alanis Morissette record. <laughs> we should. I'm fucking stoked on that because my first, my girlfriend, my freshman year of high school girlfriend burnt me a CD and hand in my pocket was like the first song on it. Say no more, you know? I I think Alanis is incredible. And I also think that this record, similarly to the Third Eye Blind self-titled album that we did, this yeah. is one of those albums where you're going to know a few of the singles, but I think every single song could be a single and is just very good. So, and great. and I think that documentary is great. So I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are on, yeah, on I mean, the album. She was huge and, and she's a huge blind spot for me. So it's also cool because all of it happened when she was very young. Oh really? And, and the way it happened wow. and, and exploded. Wow was uh, okay, cool. was pretty wild. So you're going to you're going to dig that. We're going to keep digging into records. All the links will be in the episode notes. Wonderful, wonderful chat, wonderful record. Wayne Shorter, Juju. Pick it up if you don't have it. And big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring yet another volume of I Dig Records. Make sure to hit the link in the episode notes so you can get 30% off your first year of services at Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even more affordable. Cuzzo coming through with the sound effects on time as always. And uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to play it out with this high pulp jam. All roads lead to Los Angeles. And that's the Jelly Jams. Love you, cousin. Love you, cuz. Good work. Thank you.